Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. I'm Jess Miles, and in this episode, writer and writing coach and my co-presenter, Rebecca Megson-Smith, speaks to the collective of authors of Women in Supramolecular Chemistry, published by Policy Press, about their mission to provoke change. The book is open access and available to download from bristoluniversitypress.co.uk. Despite tracking numbers of women and other minority groups working within STEM subjects such as chemistry since the 1970s, in 2019, the Royal Society of Chemistry wrote that at the current rate of change, we would never reach gender parity in the chemical sciences, which is pretty phenomenal. This, therefore, is the topic of our discussion today. We are looking at and talking with the authors of Women in Supramolecular Chemistry, collectively crafting the rhythms of our work and lives in STEM, which is a policy press, shorts, policy and practice book, and is also available via open access. The book draws on research conducted by Women in Supramolecular Chemistry or WISC network and documents the inequality and discrimination faced by women and other minority groups working in STEM today. But the book, much like the group of women behind it and the WISC network in general, goes so much further than that. What started as a small group of friends working in supramolecular chemistry, meeting bi-weekly to offer each other career-based support in 2019, has become, in a mere three years, an official, fully funded international organisation called WISC. The group has grown substantially in size, has undertaken and published research on the experiences of women in their field of science, spoken at and run conferences, skills workshops and events, created an international system of mentee support and now written and published a book on their experiences and processes, all within the time frame and against the backdrop, of course, of COVID-19. And they've done all of this in a manner that is strikingly unique, focusing on action and initiatives that are at once collaborative rather than combative and proactively enable women and other minority groups in their field to deal with the very real everyday issues of discrimination as they navigate their careers. Despite the obvious gravity of the subject, the book is as joyful as the self-proclaimed aim of WISC to bring glitter and play into the world of supramolecular chemistry, and listeners will doubtless be relieved to hear, as is stated in their acknowledgement section, that no alpacas were harmed in the process of writing this book. <laughs> so I am delighted to be talking with four of the 12 authors of the international team of people behind women in supramolecular chemistry. Dr. Jennifer Lee is senior lecturer in higher education and academic practice at the University of Kent. Dr. Larissa von Krebeck and Emmy Nother junior research group leader at the Kekuli Institute for Organic Chemistry and Biochemistry at the University of Bonn, Germany. Dr. Marianne Kiefer, an R&D scientist at InnoMedica, a small Swiss pharma company working on lipsomal drug formulations. And Dr. Jennifer Hiscock, reader in supramolecular chemistry, chair of the International Women in Supramolecular Chemistry WISC network, and UK RI Future Leaders Research Fellow within the School of Chemistry and Forensic Science at the University of Kent. 
That is probably the longest intro I think I've ever given on one of these podcasts. So let's dive in. If we could begin by talking about the history and formation of WISC, uh, if I can start with you, Dr. Jennifer Hiscock, or Jen H, as uh, you're referred to throughout the book, could you take us back to those initial days in 2019? So, you know, what was the inspiration behind those meetings? How did you formalize the, pro- formalize the process and why? And what was the thinking? So WISC started, well, WISC wasn't our initial aim at all. Um, there was myself and uh, Callie Haynes, who's now at the University College London, and um, Anna McConnell, who's now at the University of Kiel in Germany, and Cal- uh, Claudia Caltagirone, sorry, who's now at the University of Calgary in Italy. And the four of us got to know each other by working together in the labs and on the conference circuits. We all became friends. And we're all at a similar point in our career. We were all struggling just a little bit to find our own feet and a way forwards. So we just started meeting bi-weekly on Skype. Um, it all started as Skype meetings because we could all have a chat and figure out why the pressures were on each other and help ourselves out. And then news of our bi-weekly meetings started to spread. And it was at that point that Marion Kiefer, who, uh, who is on this call with us, um, talked to uh, Callie Haynes and said, could she join? And then um, I think the uh, Larissa at some point got to know who was working in the same lab as Marion got to know about what we were doing and um, so we started getting more and more interested there's only so many people you can fit on a, a zoom or a skype or a teams chat so we went oh crikey we better do something about this really um, so in 2019 we started thinking about forming a network could we do that the four of us could we do this and First of all, we were like, well, how do we set up a network? We had no idea. So we thought we'd maybe ask the community because maybe the community knew. So we started to put together a survey. And it's at this point that um, I uh, introduced Jennifer Lee to the supramolecular chemistry community on the basis that she was my lecturer at the time um, when I was doing my certificate of higher education as a new lecturer. And I went, um, I want to ask the community about uh, their views on what they'd want for a network to support uh, specifically women in supramolecular chemistry. And she took one look at my survey and threw it in the bin and said it was a disaster. It was, it was. Um, I, I'm a chemist. I don't, I'm not very good at writing this kind of survey. She said, do you want me to rewrite it with you? I said, that's fantastic. Thank you. So she basically rewrote it herself because I'm useless at this kind of stuff. And we asked the community. And it's at that point when we started to get feedback that initially the four of us um, launched WISC and then very quickly brought on Marion and then Jen and then in more recent times, um, Larissa onto our board, along with many others. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, Marion, can I turn to you? Could you talk about wanting to get involved and the the experience of of being part of uh, the formation of WISC? Yeah, so WISC kind of emerged um, at a time I was transitioning from my PhD to my postdoc. Um, And all of a sudden academia started to look very scary and a bit daunting and a bit lonely because I lost the network I had in my first lab. I was surrounded by a lot of great postdoc and was a PhD student that were there to support me. And Callie Haynes, uh, which is also on the WISC board, was uh, part of that group. And then I switched to uh, my postdoc in Bristol and I lost my 
network and my support in a sense. And that's how I heard that um, some of the girls were having kind of conversation on Skype and discussing about their daily problems and supporting each other. And I thought that's well, actually rebuilding a network this way would be like a great way for me to advance my career. But it also, it also made me realize that it was such an important part of being successful in science and also just of your general mental well-being. And I wanted to, in a sense, give back that I had this network with me during my PhD and I wanted to basically contribute to WISC because it gives the opportunity for people that don't have this support network existing to actually be put in touch with people and get the help and just the daily, sometimes just about the daily conversation and just being able to vent about what happened. And so basically this idea of like giving back in a sense and facilitating things for others uh, that might not be as lucky as I was doing my PhD was very attractive to me. And so I asked, kind of pushed a bit Jen and Callie and I was like, well, you know, I've heard you were doing those things. Like, I mean, could I join? And do you have anything that would be useful for me to do? And that's how I kind of, because I was a bit earlier in my career than them, I kind of got onto this mentoring aspect. So dealing with um, sending people um, PhD students because I'm still just out of that phase. Um, yeah, so that's how I joined the WISC network. And now it's been three years that we've all been working together. And it's yeah, very nice to see that you can actually give back and make other people's life easier. Definitely, definitely. And um, so one of the key things that came out of the survey that Jen, Jen H mentioned, and we will talk to Jen L in a minute about her involvement but one of the things that came out uh, was this idea that this theme of isolation is a really key theme that uh, that you you were finding um affected um affected women in in supramolecular chemistry um but anyway before we go into there um and this is obviously a great way of combating that but before we go into that subject Jen L can I talk to you about your experience of getting involved in this so you saw this first first version of the survey and nobody else has seen it since um tell me a bit more about uh, your involvement and what it was that you uh, were excited about um, and what you were able to bring to the group yeah absolutely so my background is actually in chemistry my first degree was in chemistry with analytical science and I did two and a half years of a PhD in computational chemistry um, I was technically expelled when I was pregnant with my second child so I've um, experienced a lot of the barriers that women face in STEM, and I am one of those statistics of people that not only leave chemistry, but leave science altogether. I do have a PhD, but it's in education now. Um, and a lot of the teaching that I do is around research methods, research design. And I, after leaving that PhD, I trained as a yoga teacher and a somatic movement therapist. So I kind of bring a lot of embodiment, creative and reflective work into my, into my social science approach. So. Yeah, when Jen showed me the survey, it was very much like, well, what are you trying to find out and how are you trying to do it? And, and what they wanted to know was what do the community want? Where were the main barriers and obstacles? Because the, the you know, from their own experience, it was very much the taking a career break to have a child. It's one of the real issues that women face. Um, it, it faces, it's not just women that face it, but often the burden of childcare goes on women. Um, and uh, the transition from postdoc to PI or independent researcher was another huge issue. So we put out this survey 
and it was a qualitative survey so the answers were very open-ended and what we found was as we expected people wanted mentoring people wanted some support around making that transition from being a postdoc to a pi they were also really interested in in reflecting and processing their experiences um, and we asked them about career breaks and initially it looked like it was kind of you know some people had good experiences some people had bad experiences but when we drilled down into the analysis the men who took career breaks for parenting all had really good experiences their departments were really supportive um, and colleagues were great but that wasn't the case for the women um, and a lot of the younger women who were hadn't taken a career breaks but were thinking actually this isn't a career that I can go into because I want to have a family because I want to have children and I don't see how this is possible so we knew this is something that that wasn't just affecting us it, it was definitely affecting the whole community mm -hmm. that's 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 fascinating thank you um, Larissa, I wonder if I can bring you in now to talk um, about a bit more about those challenges that face women in STEM and uh, in STEM subjects and uh, specifically within supramolecular chemistry. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I think um, Marion and Jen, well, both then Jen's actually mentioned already quite a lot of things. Uh, one thing, of course, especially in a field like supermolecular chemistry, where it's still kind of male dominated, of course, women tend to feel lonely. Um, I myself, for example, actually willingly went into a group that was almost all male. There was like usually one quota woman, let's call it, and then we were two. And I didn't mind that and I didn't feel that. It actually took me a long time to realize that something was amiss and that community was super supportive. So I can't say anything negative about that. But on the other hand, you also don't have people who have the same problems because they are all male and sometimes they're female specific problems that are there. And then of course that generates uh, sometimes a feeling of loneliness, especially as you progress through your career. And um, yeah, I think WISC is really facing that kind of like get, getting a sense of community, which is why I have been pestering them, I think, for two years to be able to join. <laughs> so um, that's that's really amazing. But uh, also, as Janelle said, um, oftentimes when there is um, childcare involved or any caring responsibilities involved in our Western world, it still kind of often falls to the uh, to the female in the partnership or in the family to do that. And that really affects them and um, makes career progression really, really difficult. And um, that was actually also one of the findings from the survey that people who had caring responsibilities during COVID were affected the most. And that was irrespective of gender actually. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's also really, really important that like, Whoever cares for people, they really have problems um, facing these things in their careers. And um, yeah, also like uh, barriers that were faced during COVID, I think were um, any, like, even if it's not a caring responsibility, but if you care for your group and uh, people who are more progressed throughout their careers, um, they were facing difficulties because they only not only had like the problems everybody faced through COVID, but also had the feeling that they had, well, of course, they have responsibility for their groups as well and for their well-being. And mm -hmm. that doubled the emotional load or tripled the emotional load for um, these people. And I think that was felt by uh, many group leaders and um, really affected them in that period of time. 
And of course, the emotional load isn't necessarily something that's particularly well talked about, um, particularly perhaps if the environment that you're in is is predominantly um, male, um, which is really interesting. I think this this issue of of, of childcare and caring responsibilities is fascinating because um, there's there's two elements here. There, there's from Janelle, what you were sort of suggesting is that women are leaving even before they get to a point of being in that position because all they can see around them is either um, other, other they can't see very many women around them, the ones they can are struggling, or if they're not, if they don't appear to be struggling, they, that they perhaps don't have those caring responsibilities um, and perhaps don't have children. So, so, uh, so it sort of hits at two levels. It hits in terms of turning women off and out of the environment early on. And then if you stay, it, it hits in terms of um, how that's impacted. And then Larissa, you were also just saying um, something about um, the, uh, the caring responsibility that uh, many women take on for their teams and for their groups um and um and i think in the book uh, you all talk about this idea that often if you are a woman or if you are a minority um uh from a minority group um you're asked to take on additional responsibilities in terms of mentoring other people or in terms of being the ambassador being the person that's that has to speak on these subjects and do extra work on these subjects and yet that's not recognized so it's additional work that's allegedly helping the cause but equally is taking time away from research so I, that's really interesting i don't know if anybody wants to speak to that I think one of the things that we try and do in the book and with all our work in WISC is look at things intersectionally. So yes, we're a women in supermolecular chemistry network, but that doesn't mean that we ignore other marginalized genders. So our definition of women includes trans women, but we also realize that non-binary people and trans men are also marginalized and that black women, brown women, women from ethnic minorities, women who have different sexualities or different religious backgrounds or disabled, chronically ill, neurodivergent, they're all gonna face confounded challenges. So we try and look at this in the whole. I think all of our events, all of our resources are open to anyone, irrespective of gender, irrespective of anything. Um, and we target some things so we have community support clusters that are targeted at specific groups so we have parenting cluster for example but that's not just mothers that's fathers that's step parents that's foster parents adoptive parents prospective parents it's 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 everybody um and we have a disability uh, chronic illness and neurodivergence cluster and one of the focuses this year is around first gen um because there are kind of loads of hidden barriers to higher education and to career progression within academia, particularly if you're first gen into higher education. Mm -hmm. that, that first generation piece is fascinating. And actually, um, uh, there's, a, there's, I don't, there's another book you may or may not have come across uh, through Policy Press called The Alumni Way by Dr. Maria Gallo, um, which is a brilliant kind of handbook um, that's very much aimed at first generation university students, graduates, postgraduates to enable them to kind of, um, you know, understand, you talked about, um, you talked about the capital of that, the, the knowledge, the asset as such of um, having that knowledge and experience of how to navigate a, a university system, which obviously isn't, isn't there for first generation um, students and postgraduates, which is really, really interesting. So, you know, that might be something interesting for you guys to look at as well. 
Definitely, thank you. I mean, I know my daughter's, my middle daughter's just started um, studying computer science at university, but when she was thinking about A-level choices, I could go and have a coffee with a professor of computer science and find out actually further maths is more important than computer science. And it's that kind of mm. network and connections and not only having the knowledge, but having the resources to access that knowledge from other people that is just not there for people who are first gen. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk about this idea. Um, uh, so you, you describe in the book that the approach of WISC is, is one of calling in rather than calling out the community. And that's very much at the heart of the kind of work and ethos of, of, the, of, the, of the network. I'm interested in you know, what that is. Could, could you describe what that is and how it's different to other work on and against discrimination? I don't think it's different at all. Um, I think we have to, our approach is to, the, to bring in the community to sort, to support the community, right? So if the community is 90% white middle-aged men, we can't ignore the fact that 90% of the community is that demographic. Those individuals have worked incredibly hard to get to where they are. They're incredibly intelligent. They have shifted so many barriers in just getting supramolecular chemistry known as a branch of chemistry because supramolecular, that word, wasn't really a thing until the late 1980s. So <clears throat> these individuals have brought the area of chemistry that we all study to the forefront. We can't ignore that. Right. And for the most part, these people are good people. They make mistakes like we all make mistakes sometimes, but like they're inherently good people. And one of the most amazing um, events we did just before um, lockdown was at the Royal Society of Chemistry's Macrocyclic and Supramolecular Chemistry Symposium in 2019. And we held a WISC event and 50 percent of those audience members were young and up and coming male PIs who wanted to come and felt that they could come into our environment to learn about the pressures that we face as women in supramolecular chemistry to find out how they can help. Mm. Mm. So they have joined our mentorship networks as mentors. They have read the stuff that we put out to understand how they can help, how they can enable, how they can produce an environment that allows a step change in enabling individuals, right? So that's calling it. We're not about alienating people, we're about evoking change across everyone's viewpoints. And probably just to, to, to uh, go on from that and say, as you as you outline in the book, absolutely the calling out, which is the, you know, the, the um, talking about discrimination and the talking about specific acts of discrimination and naming the people that have been involved in that is absolutely a very important activity that needs to happen but that's not the focus of the work you're doing partly because as you've just expressed you know this is about working with the community um, but also you know there's a cost the people that are able to to do those things are generally the people that are, are leaving um the, uh, uh, leaving that part of academia, whereas actually this is really about um, helping people to, to helping women and other minority groups to find a way to work with and to stay and to be part of the, the, the transformation 
um, of, of, the, of the demographic. Absolutely. And I think we want to bring people with us. Um, I presented on WISC's work at an EDI conference yesterday and uh, a Dean of Science was there and he heard me present and he said, I want a revolution, not an evolution. Um, and I think, you know, you're right, a lot of the calling out um, and there are biographies of women who, who talk about sexism in science. Um, I think it's Sue Rosser, Rita Colwell, but, but they all are at the end of their careers. So they're very senior um, and they don't have anything to lose by saying, do you know what, this is what I faced. And, and one of the things that we did with WISC was we wanted to draw attention to the, the experiences that people have and evoke the emotions behind it and what it feels like, but without calling anyone out. So instead of sharing personal experiences and personal stories we created fictional vignettes that are all true but are not the composite so that they're, they're not any one person's story you can't read read one of our fictional vignettes and say oh I know who that is because it's actually created from a collaborative autoethnography work with research groups in the UK and the US and two qualitative surveys and conversations with supramolecular chemists so it brings all of those together to create stories that are emotional that um highlight and make resonance with people they listen to it and they feel it and you know people who've experienced the same will say yes I, I recognize this and also allow those people who don't experience those those uh, issues because they are privileged in some other sense they can understand what it means to to be those people so there's there's ones from uh, the perspective of an international PhD student from early career mid-career PhD uh, students senior career people working through COVID to, to kind of highlight some of the things that came up again and again in these meetings and in this research over the, the years that we've been working. Yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. And I'm glad you spoke to the vignettes because I think one of the things that, um, is, that is really that stands out for me with this book is that it is clearly um, it's, it's a rigorous piece of research. It is well grounded in um, in all the things that you would expect it to be in terms of, of, of fact and citation, and it does all the things that research should, but it also um, takes a slightly, takes a twist in terms of applying some of those um, more creative ways of um, responding to the, the, the question of research that might more readily be associated, for example, with the social sciences. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that makes it such an engaging, compelling um, read. Um, and it brings me on to the next bit that I wanted to just ask about. So I mentioned this in my introduction, but I'd love to talk about the glitter and play aspect of WISC. Um, you know, who coined that term? What do you mean by it and why is it important? I think this is something that comes very much from my own approach to social science research methods. Um, the members of WISC doing any social science research for them was a leap in the dark. So the fact that they're actually doing quite unusual and innovative <laughs> research methods, they're like, oh, you know, what the hell, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I think it's been really valuable to help people process um, their experiences. So, you know, for at some points during uh, the COVID pandemic, people, I think there was one meeting that we had when like five people shared images of burning or fire or talking about burnout and firefighting and just that kind of complete panic in the state of 
being that people were in. But yeah, glitter, I think, is something that's close to everyone's hearts, particularly Gen H. I should probably hand over to her. <laughs> At this point, and I'm going to hand over to Marion and Larissa at the moment, but when Jen first proposed doing this kind of research, we we generally use me or my group as test guinea pigs before we, we widen it out to a wider audience. But when she first told me about this is the approach we were going to take, it's a good thing we were very good friends first because I don't think I would have like, I would have been open to that approach from anybody else. I thought I thought it was bonkers. Having said that, I now have to sit here eating my words because I dry, then drafted as many people as possible into these approaches. And it's the first time I've ever been, I think first and only time we've ever legitimately been able to spend a science grant on glitter pens for people. That's brilliant. Which was fabulous. I mean, uh, Marion, um, you got some of our, our gift backs through in those very early days when we were in COVID and we were sat there. I mean, and Larissa too, who's joined at a later stage when these groups are more developed. I think it'd be really interesting because I've never asked myself, like what their initial thoughts were when we went, we're doing this. So it was very interesting. I still remember when I received this package. So, I mean, as scientists, we are, we can say maybe a little boring sometime, you know, we like our graphs and our like data and things like that. And taking kind of like a more artsy approach to research was I mean, completely out there for me. I, it, I never even thought that this was a way to do research. And I remember today I received this parcel and it was full of glittery tape and pens and paper. And I didn't even link it to this project I just signed up with. And for a while, I was wondering who sends me some like craft material. I genuinely didn't know where it was coming from. And it's actually in one of those um, kind of ch Skype chat we used to have at the time to keep ourselves busy doing COVID in the evening that I was like, hey, guys, I received this really weird package with glittery pen. What is that? And then they were like, well, it's for the study. And I was like, okay that's what this is for so for me it's it was such a different concept that i was not familiar with i didn't even link the two things together Amazing. but then so when we started working with that and actually trying to exteriorize what's going on in your life and in your research on paper it's very freeing in a sense and i said that like it's probably something that's a form of approach that should be done more in science um because it's it allows you to express things that you wouldn't usually. And it also very much allows you to move forward. And I think that was one of the main points is that we always discussed, there was always darker aspect, but there was also always more cheerful aspect we had in those um, autoethnography session where we was like, describe something you've been proud, like something you achieved and something you're proud of. Mm -hmm. And that is actually really helpful. And sometimes we have to remember that it's not all dark and we need that glitter and that play in our life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Jen definitely brought that to us. That's brilliant. Thank you. Larissa, what about what was your experience? Um, it was actually pretty uh, similar. Yeah, I'm, I also would say I'm, I'm one of those boring natural scientists. And then I, I got a heads up for the parcel from Jen. So I knew what was coming and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so many like, pens and like Fimo and other amazing uh, things and um, 
Yeah, at the beginning, like I really wanted to join the uh, collaborative author ethnography and I was really happy about that and excited about that, but I was kind of skeptical about the artsy aspect because I'm not an artsy person. Like I, I, I really can't draw nice things. And um, so at first it was kind of like more reflective for me. So I reflected on the things, but I didn't draw anything. And then at some point I felt bad because I was always just like, no, I didn't draw anything. <laughs> So I did, I sat down and actually like made a sketch and it was like an even deeper reflection on the project. And afterwards I felt amazing, even though like I generally don't enjoy drawing so much, but it was kind of like thinking about these things and um, I don't know, putting them slowly on paper, it felt like, I don't know, the relief you have when you talk about things with someone, but I had that, but honestly, like on myself, just putting it on paper and then talking about it later on in autoethnography, auto of course. But it was really great experience. And now when I can, I actually really like um, doing some drawings if, well, it also always takes time, of course, but I really, really like it. And I'm so grateful for Jen to kind of like give me that, like this kind of like research and um, just this experience of kind of, I don't know, reflecting and just, yeah, the relief afterwards, because usually like it was more, well, not always negative things, but um, we talked about during COVID, sometimes it would, was happy things as well, but it was just really good. And like, I didn't feel as stressed afterwards anymore. So that was really great. That is absolutely amazing to hear. And I think it is, it's, it is fascinating. Um, two things that come to me as, 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 as you've uh, all been speaking there, is this, um, this notion of what we're not, uh, so, you know, the notion of what a scientist is um, and, and this idea that, oh, well, art is something that those other people do over there. Um, but when you bring it in, all it really is, it's another way of generating data or a way of making connections that you, you know, it's another tool, basically, that is suddenly uh, available to use. And the second thing that I was thinking is, you know, as I said in my introduction, nothing has changed. So despite the sort of one might say more um quantitative scientific approaches to these issues of gender disparity and discrimination and the numbers have been tracked and, and and looked at over time actually that hasn't moved the needle that much and so it's beautiful to kind of read and hear about this experience of well let's try something else like there's nothing to lose almost here let's try something else so it's wonderful that it's been a great experience as well one of the things that um so i asked jen's group recently um to to reflect on what they got out of the meetings and we take a similar approach they're more facilitated by me than the collaborative autoethnography because it is very much supporting the phd students um and, and master students on their on their journey but one of them said that it just allowed them to get on and do the actual science and I think that's really key because all of this work wasn't, it takes time, yes, but it was designed to support people so that they can just get on and do the science because everyone involved in WISC is an absolutely incredible scientist and that's what you want to facilitate. That's brilliant. That's really brilliant. I wonder if, I, I did try and list out some things in the intro, but I wonder if um, perhaps Jen H, you could uh, talk us through what you would say are the big achievements of WISC. Well, I think firstly, I'd point out that change has been happening before WISC. And that was something that when we were first doing our research that 
became apparent through reviewers' comments to our, our initial research findings and, and other um, feedback from other people who have been working so hard to affect change. And although on the grand scheme of things, the numbers haven't altered massively, there are those first women that are coming through as prize winners on awards where there haven't been women before. And just th that one step, like it hasn't happened because WISC exists. So, so absolutely like hands up to everyone else who's, who's worked so hard to affect bits of change. I think WISC, WISC's proudest achievement, I would say, is actively bringing the international community together to do something. Everyone wants to affect change. Everyone wants everyone to be happier. Right. Everyone has their own story to tell. Dig deep enough. Everyone's got a story. But what we've managed to do is give people an environment to feel safe and to find themselves and to move forward. And that has involved feeding from some of the biggest supramolecular chemists in the world that have come through and supported us and written forwards for our books and endorsed our books. So and our other research articles as well. And that is something I'm very proud of, is bringing everyone together to enable a step change. That's what WISC is, that's what WISC does beyond the research articles and everything else. It is creating that environment to allow change where everybody is welcome, whoever you are. That's brilliant, thank you, that is great. And I mean, I, I can, I just want to ask, you know, has it taken an enormous amount of blood, sweat and tears to achieve all that you have with WISC? What has the cost been to you all as individuals in creating and making this net network as successful as it clearly is? I'm going to hand, I think we should all have a, a, a feed in here. Um, we were lucky when WISC started off that um, Jen, L, and I won some funding from the Royal Society that actually paid basically to buy Jen's time out completely from other university activities for two years. And that's been a massive driving force, being able to buy out her time to, to move WISC and other ventures forwards in this space has been great, right? But it, it's like running a second research team. And do you get any real credit for it as a supramolecular chemist? It depends who you talk to. Do you get any extra credit for it in your university or, or work allocation associated with it? You, you'd have to ask everyone specifically on their university or, or industry, right? Mm. Do we all get things back of it when we see the numbers of people accessing those publications or those number of people sharing their stories in the research surveys? Does that make it worthwhile? Yes, it does. Is the payoff enough? I think you want to come back and ask us all at six monthly intervals. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Um, but I, Jen, I think the rest of the ladies should feed in here as well. Well, and actually, I mean, I, I would like to talk to Larissa actually, because you're one of the later uh, people to get involved. It, it obviously, feels like it's something that's worth your time and energy or you know I'm, I'm taking that assumption 
Uh, yes, certainly. I think actually Jen gave a very good summary of what WISC is, even though I've only been there a couple of months. It's and I feel I've I've haven't pitched in that much, honestly, yet. But um, it's um, it is like having like a, a small second research unit, but I'm just trying to get my own running. So, um, but uh, on top of everything that Jen said, like you also gain the most amazing group of friends. Like I think so far for me, it was a hundred percent worth it. It was two hundred percent worth it, and um, I'd love to. Some I'm 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 uh, vice chair of communications together with Kelly Haynes, and I sometimes like to be more on top of uh, like communications. But um, Janelle is so quick on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I usually just I should tweet about it. Oh, I gendered like two days ago <laughs> already. Because, um, but still, like I I hope that I'm pulling my weight and um just can give back because I think it's an amazing community. And yes, on top of the group of friends, like whenever we get any feedback from the surveys, that's positive. And uh, we did also um start um try to get more information on leaving uh, academia. And so uh, we had a survey and what I basically did is all my colleagues from my PhD who are remembered, I just wrote all of them the same message. Two thirds, I think, replied and all of them said, yes, I'm going to do the survey. It's so important we do that. Yes, please. This is amazing. Let me support this. And um, I think a couple of them also left their email addresses to be contacted later on if they needed. But even those who didn't, it was just having these kind of like frequently asked questions on out of academia. And it was, the feedback was so positive and I didn't expect that. I was kind of like, oh, maybe they'll be like, no, I don't want to. And I know it was so positive feedback and that was really, really rewarding. Brilliant, that's great, thank you. I think also you should ask, Marion here she says you feel free to because Marion is is like this this kind of secret story of whisk right because you're now in industry but she's single-handedly running our mentoring program still yeah absolutely yes I was going to ask because obviously Marion you have stuck with it you 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 know you weren't there at the very very start but you were very close to the start and it's been something that you've continued Tell yeah. us more. yes so I mean as they all mentioned whisk has been time an insane amount of time on top of a day job as they say it's like running a second research group you finish your day job you come in the evening and you open your mailbox and there's 30 emails from all of your mentors and like it's it takes a lot but it also brings back a lot I think and that's what's very important um there's nothing like looking at yeah, the feedback from surveys and the feedback from for me, the mentoring network, which I'm a bit closer to, and seeing how it's helping people and how it brings friendship in a world that's not always the friendliest. Um, and also something else that it took a lot, I think, for whiskey was guts. It took a lot of guts to get it started, but also on a daily basis to approach people, ask people to contribute, get this funding sorted. So I'm a bit separated from the funding side because not being in any um, academic institution it's a bit harder um, but it's yeah it takes it takes effort but in the end I think it's really worth it and it brings a lot to us but also it brings a lot to the community and that's yeah it makes you feel good in the end of the day 
So sometimes mm. when you have a bad day at work, I just also like doing some of the risk admin to just see that other people are happy. And that's very important, yeah. That's amazing, thank you. And it seems to me like it's a really brilliant example. I mean, we talk about multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary working, but you know, the, 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 the lovely kind of combination here of having a social scientist so heavily involved and integrated into, uh, into this work, I think is, well, at the heart, in fact, of this work, I think is, is, really, is really lovely to see and, and great to see and, and offers opportunities, I think, going forward for other groups and organisations to, to, to take that horrible phrase, thinking out of the box and actually act on it in a, in a, in a very real way, which is, which is great. Which, which brings me to my final question. What is next for WISC and what does the future hold? What do you want to see happen from here? Where, where do, what, 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 what's the next step? I think it's going to be the same approach as what we've been doing so far. We'll ask the community what is the next step. We don't do that for ourselves. We do that to help others. And so I guess we'll see what the survey reveals. So as um, Larissa and Jen already mentioned, we have um, something kicking for uh, out of academia because having female in science doesn't mean you have to stay in academia and follow this sort of more regular like PhD postdoc um, lecturer pathway. There are other options. I'm an example of that. Um, and I'm only happier for having this opportunity to see what's outside of academia. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to also have more female just in industry. So we have this um, out of academia uh, coming up. As we said, we have the first generation that we mentioned a little bit uh, that is kicking up as well to just get this background knowledge um, that is missing for people that are first uh, generation. Um, and so hopefully a lot of bright things are coming up in the future for WISC. Yeah, we've got we've got a number of active projects, including looking at the future accessible lab, uh, raising the visibility of black women in chemistry and in science communication. Um, we've got a public engagement project as well. And we also think that the model that we've developed is something that could be expanded to other fields of chemistry and other disciplines in science. I think we we keep needing to call in the community, you know, and the wider scientific community to support us because we can't do it all um on our own and it shouldn't be done from us exactly as marion said this comes from the community and not all communities have the same needs and the same kind of desires and and so that any network like this has to come from what that particular community needs and what what they want to do i think and to add to that the final aim that i'd really really like to see happen not that i'm not really enjoying and I am committed to WISC, obviously, as we all are, but it would be great to get some competition for the different posts within WISCs going on because it can't be just us forever, mm. right? So we're looking for new people with new ideas that we can help guide into supporting, get as much out of WISC as we have. And then eventually when, because we're all getting grey streaks now going on, right? <laughs> When we feel, <laughs> as we retire out, because we should do, because it, an organisation such as WISC to be sustainable needs new people, needs new voices coming through, right? So I think my, like my proudest ground plan was when someone decides to take over chairing WISC and maybe it's not me anymore. Amazing. And to see it grow beyond us, 
Fantastic, fantastic. Just, I just finally want to talk about this this idea of the model being replicated elsewhere, and 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 I think some of the key ingredients that um, you mention in the book um, that makes this model very uh, effective, and the three things that I, I was able to pull out were this idea of it having a very area specific focus. So that the, the continued focus on this being women in supramolecular chemistry is, is, a, is a key part of it. As you were just all saying, what comes out of the community is going to be different by depending on different communities. Um, the utilisation of EDI expertise, wherever that exists and pulling that in and then bringing this qualitative research approach uh, into the world of science that perhaps is more regularly um, focused on the um, quantitative uh, approach. And those are the three kind of, from what I could see, the, the, the three key ingredients that really make this um, a, success, a success. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's so much research that's been done that, that marginalization, diversity in science is an issue. We know that there's an issue. There was a report that came out from the Royal Society of Chemistry yesterday. There's one black professor in the UK and in the HESA statistics, so the Higher Education Statistics Authority, that's rounded down to zero, because if you have less than two and a half, I don't know how you can have half a professor, um, then it's rounded down to zero. Um, and so we know that there's a problem. So we kind of advocate, we want to be agents of change. We want to be a, a wrench in the works or a wench in the works, which is uh, someone we quote in the book. I think it's Sarah Franklin. It was uh, in a Sarah Ahmed book. Uh, that that quote was there um, and we want to make change we want to to have a revolution <laughs> um, to do things differently because we need to do things differently because we need to increase diversity in science yeah for the benefit of science ultimately great well thank you thank you all very much uh so to to close i'd like to thank jen l jen h marion and larissa for talking with me today it has been a real pleasure speaking to you all Women in Supramolecular Chemistry is published by Policy Press, and I challenge anyone to find a more compelling, energetic and positive piece of research on the subject of discrimination within STEM. This book is alive with grounded, factual, evidential research into what can be done to challenge and transform a system whilst working hand in hand with it, walking the paths of change together and doing so with great creativity, authenticity and, as should be expected, the appropriate amount of scientific rigour.